Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix sleep quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. I don't know what a celery kiss is, but I want to know. Or maybe I don't want to know. Allison, why don't you describe for the, for the fans Allison, what celery Allison, tell me what's is. happening. Tell it into that microphone. Talk it into the mic. So I can respond. Say it right next to my face. Celery kisses, it's when you kiss someone with celery in your mouth. What? Yeah. Why? why? What Four the fuck? Four of the seven people I've ever made out with. I had celery in my mouth. Excuse me? <laughs> Wait, is this like a party game? No. <laughs> well, it's just a thing that happened? Allison just laughing behind me. What the fuck? And that's really fucking weird. Yeah, I've only kissed... Well, now we're just all in the world. Hi, Mom. We've only... I've only made out with seven <clears throat> people in my entire life, and four of them... You were... Happened to be eating celery? Yeah. That's true. I'm sorry. Well... <laughs> thanks, Al. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I was... I happen to be drinking alcohol. It's what you do when you don't drink, actually. It's celery. You replace... I get it. Well, I had a... I went to a New Year's Eve party right after I broke up with my last ex, and then three of them were my sorority sisters, and they all felt really bad that I wasn't going to kiss anyone on New Year's, so they all drunkenly decided to get in an alley line and just make out with me. Wait, I'm sorry, what? But they made this plan after... Like, I wasn't in the room when they decided this, and so I was hanging out around the party, and you know those, like... <laughs> big bag of celery. Well, no, you know, like, at the table, on par- at parties, they have, like, the carrots and the celery and, like, they all, just, like, the table stuff. It's just a table of celery. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I grabbed a stick of celery, and I was just walking around, and then I went to go find my friends, and they were all waiting for me, <laughs> and all of them just went one by one, their tongue in my mouth, and I was like, that's three kisses in a row with celery. So that at the time, I hadn't met Allison yet, so it was three out of six, so I was 50 for 50 on celery kisses. I am so weirded out right now. Well, so then Allison knew that story, and then one time I was, we were hanging out, and I was eating celery, and she saw her chance, and she just dove for my face. Yes! That's hilarious! Holy sh- How often do you eat celery? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and often? So- Allison's mouthing the word often. So now four out of seven. Less people, there have been less people in my life that I made out with with celery in my mouth than than there have been the more ma- the majority of the time i don't need the mic for this the majority of the time that we make out there's no celery oh are you sure though it sounds like there's usually celery she asks for celery to be involved but she's like it's not the I same i tell her no it's weird i need some veggies yeah <laughs> oh my god make some ants on a log put it in there oh i love ants on a log yeah i know em i know how much you like celery <laughs> 
Okay, okay. bye, Allison. Thanks, Allison. What a good feature. Thanks for visiting. <laughs> Anyway, why do you drink? Let's just get away from talking about me. Woof. So I guess I drink because this week at Nickelodeon, we did a faux writer's room where we had like a, an actual TV writer who's, who did the program a few years ago who writes for, he wrote for Modern Family for a while and a lot of big shows. And he was basically the showrunner and we did like a full writer's room experience. Nice. And on Friday, we were there for 12 hours. Like it was just... 12 hours in yeah. the same room? 10 to 10.30. Oh, I would just rip my own head off it really and they were like it's so you know what it's like to be a tv writer and i was like oh is this everything you ever wanted though <laughs> yes <laughs> you're I'm not kidding sick i know it's sick but it's amazing so we wrote an entire and we were the first group in the history of the program to ever finish a script by the end of the week wow i know and so i'm really excited about so it. either it's a really good script or a really horrible script it's actually a very it's a i'm not gonna name names name the show right but i believe for the show it's quite a good script all right. So it's been really good. And I'm like really proud of us. And I feel like I finally found my career fit and I'm really happy about it. So Yay. Meanwhile, I have no idea what I want to do when I grow up. So I mean, you're a year younger than me. You have a year to find out. Oh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, besides your sex life, what's up? Oh my. Um, <laughs> it's Everything's great. Everything's fine. Good. <laughs> well, my spine's better. So you don't have to hear about that shit this week. Yeah. We were all wondering. Also, um, I was reading one of the emails and I thought it was funny. I had like a one up on you for about a second. Uh oh. Um, we all know it's more than a second, but okay. Someone is listening to our show backwards, so starting at these episodes and playing all the way down oh, to our. Oh man! I know, but she said it was kind of trippy because she's been like it, learning things on her own, like like she's like she got to hear the episode that you guys were engaged, thinking that you guys were engaged the whole time. Oh man! And then so, but she uh, she said that, and then there was another person who's doing the same thing and wrote in saying. You know, I was listening to the episodes backwards and I just thought it was so great that like Em has a girlfriend and the girlfriend and Christine just get along so well. And like, <laughs> it's really nice to know that like Em and Christine like have such a good bond that when Em brought their girlfriend in, like the girlfriend and Christine just got together so well. And then I listened to like 20 more episodes and realized that Christine knew Allison for like eight years <laughs> before and actually introduced her to Em. <laughs> But for like a good 20 episodes, someone thought that like I had brought Allison to you. Well, that's, I mean, it must be fun to feel that way for a minute. It felt good to live a lie. Got you. Yeah. It usually does. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's really fun. I wonder, that must be a weird thing to go backwards. It must be weird, at least in that case, to be like, oh, wow, Em and Allison, Em and Allison. And then it's like, Allison and Christine. Yeah. Who the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it really was like, Allison and I went on vacation. Allison proposed to me on vacation. That Hearing, okay, so if they were listening to the episodes, backwards and then got to that episode and it started that way with like you guys getting engaged and shit yep she had to have been like what the fuck is going like, on like something's wrong yep yeah well sorry we burst your bubble everybody um speaking of which today yesterday a year ago is the day M texted me and said hey you want to sp- start a podcast it's true and my depression went no thanks <laughs> and my psychiatrist went do it Aww. And here we are. I know. So it's been an official year since this plan has been molding. Can you believe it? And then it took us a month to set everything up. So February 9th is the official podcast release. Oh. But January 19th yep. was 
the morning that I texted you yeah and said what would you think about starting a podcast and I ignored your text for six hours I remember that because I I felt like I asked you something that went too far no I thought I crossed the line and then I felt terrible for ignoring you for so long but I sat on my couch for six hours going well maybe I no bad idea (laughs) and then Blaze came home and I was like what do I do and he's like do it and I was like (laughs) okay words of the wise well also when I texted you I had been listening to a podcast and I was like I should just ask Christine what she'd think about this and then as I texted it my coworker was sitting next to me and was I was just telling you this yeah saw me send that text to you and was like you really want to start a podcast that'll never fucking work <laughs> so hey, every, fuck you fuck you fuck coworkers you. all right here and we are. slash my whole family and everybody else so <laughs> yeah um it's kind of funny because a whole year ago it's so weird to think where we were a year ago it is and it's weird to think i'm just so thankful you asked me to do a podcast i'm like you could ask anyone to do a podcast because we weren't even that close we really weren't we weren't even close it just goes to show you how little friends i had no (laughs) it goes to show you how charming and endearing i am right yes well take your pick folks whichever one you want to believe so this would have been an anniversary to eerie in theory but whoops (laughs) it's more like an anniversary since it's death (laughs) it's short-lived life hashtag thanks jim thanks jim our podcast was called Eerie Theory if nobody really has ever learned and, that. If you're not a true fan and you don't know our trivia yet, mm-hmm. the show was originally going to be called Eerie Theory. Let's do a po- let's do an and that's why drink trivia night. Well, that's what I thought. I have actually thought about really? that. I thought if we ever did a live show, we could like ask people trivia questions about us and they could like win prizes or something and that'd be one of the questions. That is my my ego. So everyone ought to know. That's my ego's like best best day ever really because i'll be blacking out on ambien or something since i'll have the most performance anxiety of my life and you'll be like sleepwalking on stage i'll need something that's gonna knock me out cold all right um but yeah so i guess i have you to thank for the last year i have a girlfriend i have you to thank geo even introducing me to this concept also we might not be best friends if it weren't for the show i know we weren't even like we weren't even really great friends we really weren't (laughs) we just knew of each other and saw each other often to fill the void to fill the dark empty void. and now here we are see guys we're just creating our own voids we just we just combined our void (laughs) we now have a bigger void but now like i'm like gonna be part of your wedding and everything like so much has changed so much can you believe it geo and i are friends now a year ago geo and i were not friends wait speaking of my wedding i have something to ask you hold on oh my sorry elevator music What's happening? Okay, so Blaze is here now, and he's not even going to speak, but I want him to be here because we want to ask you if you would be willing to officiate our wedding. Shut up. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you really serious? Yeah. <laughs> no way. I don't know if it's officiate. Officiate? Wait, really? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> That'd we, be fucking awesome. We decided this a long time ago, and now I keep remembering. We never really asked them if, if they want to do it. <laughs> Are you se- Oh, my God. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I wanted you, Blaze to be here to too oh, this is awesome it, it may have been blaze's idea actually oh well i'm gonna give blaze the credit that's what i do <laughs> <laughs> all right oh thanks you- guys hell yeah Thank you. i'll marry the crap out of you <laughs> <laughs> are you uncomfortable enough yet blaze i mean i don't like the microphone but... you don't like the microphone okay that's okay i love thanks, you thanks guys blaze go entertain M's girlfriend anyway i want to bl- call me reverend <laughs> remember when you're like oh i'm a priest i'm like em you're not a priest. but i am well That's we're no. we're gonna test time now aren't we so yeah, no way yay. really does I, allison know 
No, I haven't told anyone. Because Blaze and I wanted to ask you, and I keep forgetting. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Wow, the performance anxiety is already kicking in. And then I was like, what if? That's okay, we'll do it. We'll just try our hand at Xanax or something. You'll already be drunk on Ambien. You you know, I will say at Cece's wedding, not the worst experience of my life being a part of the wedding, but I had to like wear a dress and all that nonsense. Sure. That was not your thing. That was an out of body experience, but. Right. We had to like carry like we had to like hold like bouquets bouquets to go down the aisle. But one of us in the bridal party had a brilliant idea to hide Xanax in the in the bouquets. Brilliant. In case any of us like freaked out or like couldn't stand up there for much longer. Brilliant. So me, her name was Mariella, and her and I just like she gave me a Xanax right before we walked down the aisle, and we were just chewing it dry. Just- <laughs> letting it hit us real good and it worked like a charm but i tell you i was up there totally fine that's the thing i when you told me that when you went to cc's wedding i don't even know if i was engaged yet but i was like write that down christine put xanax in all the bouquets and including mine especially mine oh my god i'm Brilliant. so excited to marry you yay isn't oh my exciting? gosh this is amazing <laughs> i hope you want to do it if not, i do i just have to figure out how to do it i have to relearn if you're not if you're too stressed about it don't worry but i don't want to make i'm just you gonna eat a lot of xanax it's okay you'll just eat it i really will i've done it before i'll well, do it again <laughs> is that a threat <laughs> no just make sure i have xanax available when we we'll do like fine. a little brunch in the morning i'll just pass it out with the with the Like, you're kidding, but I'm also, like... Oh, no, I'm not kidding at all. My stomach's already churning. We're the same person. I'm so excited. Um, Okay, okay, good. Anyway. This is awesome. I'm so stoked. Yay! I'm so happy. it's, It's a funny... It's foreshadowing for the future because Allison and I have talked and said, like, if we ever got married, like, we have to thank Christine because she introduced us. And we couldn't figure out whose side you should be on. So we were like, well, then Christine will just have to officiate. So this might be a full circle (laughs) in the making. Oh, my God. And that's what I said because we're like, well, fuck that. Em's not wearing a dress. And then I was like, but then Em can be right in the middle (laughs) in a beautiful suit. Front and center. Oh, my gosh. All right. I'm stoked. We'll hide the Valium in your boutonniere or something. Oh, we'll hide it in my gullet. (laughs) (laughs) It will be churning in my system. We'll hide it it under your tongue and you can just go as you please. (laughs) Just suckle along. Anyway, so... All right. Well, I'm going to have to learn how to be a, a fucking reverend. Let's well, do it. Thanks, priest. I'm excited. Thanks, priest. <laughs> Let's go. For once. How do people listening backwards understand anything? <laughs> I feel like they're like, what, what? Like, they're just so confused all the time. Like, thanks? What priest? Anyway, this is about to become a very interesting episode, if it hasn't already, with my celery kisses and becoming a priest all over again. This is, you are like. I'm on fucking fire. I feel like you're graduating to all new levels of just. You're right. Lunacy. And I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Okay. So I just want to jump into my story because I know you've got a long one. I do. And we also know you have to edit this in less than 24 hours. So good oh. luck. Oh, right. No, not less than 24 hours. Less than three hours because it is 9 p.m. Oh. And it comes out at midnight. Whoops. All right. So I will blaze through, blaze blaze. through this. Does anyone want to know how we do uh, recordings? Because it is now. <laughs> it's Saturday at 9. You will be hearing this three hours from this second. Hello to future us in three hours. Hello to me crying on the couch. <laughs> Hello. Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. 
There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. Daylight saving time is starting up again. It may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. Right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to get right into this. And it's a fucking weird one. Oh, boy. It's a poltergeist. Yes! Which we all love. I fucking love poltergeist stories. I love a good poltergeist. If it's poltergeist or exorcisms, it's my number one. So good. It's called the South Shields Poltergeist. Ooh. I don't think anyone has recommended this yet. Okay. Um, I found this truly on a whim. Oh. And I was like, this is pretty wild. Okay. This is in 2005. So oh, it's recent. very recent. Yikes. What the hell was that? Oh, it's the, wind. the wind. Oh, classic excuse classic fucking poltergeist true to form i say poltergeist and the wind just starts banging on the window kind of creepy so in 2005 there was a family of three Mm -hmm. and all of their names have been changed for their protection from the poltergeist anyway (laughs) yep (laughs) (laughs) he won't find them Mm -hmm. (laughs) so he looked in the phone book and was like uh well where did they move to (laughs) He's like talking to all the other poltergeists, being like, Do you know where Bill is? And they're like, No. <laughs> Bill who's who? That? So, anyway, there's Mark, Marianne, and their three year old son, Robert. Okay. Um, and it's in South Shields, which is in Northeast England. Oh, okay. So, there's no backstory. They just kind of dive right in, <laughs> sure. as we will too. Standard. So, they began to experience uh, unexplained paranormal phenomena in the house pretty much right away. Uh-oh. So doors were suddenly opening and closing on their own. There were a lot of strange sounds coming from the walls, like did, bangs did, and taps and all that. Had they just moved there or something? It didn't really... Oh, it just say, I'm assuming. Started. Okay. I'm assuming. Um, but so they just started hearing really like weird creaks that sounded very intelligent. Like if they said, who was that? They would hear a sound again. Oh, no. Um, and very quickly, uh, furniture began to move around on its own. Mm-mm. so originally they were just hearing it being like what's that sound they would hear things dragging upstairs or downstairs or wherever they weren't 
And then they would go into the room and the furniture was either on the other side of the room or was flipped over. Ew. Or it had rearranged itself. Ew. Really creepy stuff. Um, chairs were found stacked on top of each other on a table, which Holy is shit. classic poltergeist shit. That's like that creepy poltergeist symbol. Like, yeah. Ugh. Like, oh, just a bunch of... Why, first of all, how does it find that many chairs in a house? <laughs> like, how come the classic poltergeist thing is, oh, all the chairs are stacked weirdly on a table? Like, how did it get every chair? I don't know. Is it just like, this is so inconvenient for you to have chairs on the table? Or is yeah. it like... This Maybe is- it's reminding you how many chairs you have for a family of three in a house. It's like, look at all this waste of space. It's like, you only have three butts. You don't need 18 he chairs. He clearly lives in a tiny house and is trying to teach them minimalism. Oh. He's so, like, this, this is, is not convenient. So you just have an agenda here is what you're saying. It's me in the afterlife being like, look at how many tables are in this house and how many chairs and three asses. So much waste. <laughs> Think of the money I could have saved at Ikea. <laughs> So a large, heavy chest of drawers is one example that got moved from one side of the bedroom to another often. So like sometimes the shelves, sometimes the shelves would come out by themselves and then like drag themselves individually across the room or the whole thing would just drag. Oh my God. Very eerie. So it can't just like lift it up and move it. It has to drag it. Well, we'll get to that. Remember that question. All right. So, uh, like I said, they either, they usually heard it. They could hear things sliding across the floor, but eventually they were able to witness it and they would just watch. Like they would see like a bunch of shelving drawers move on their own. And then the whole armoire, or the whole dresser. Oh my God. That's gotta be, why are you still in the room Don't. after the shelf has been pulled out on no. its own from the dresser? Like you should be lighting that but thing on fire. It's going to grab you next and you won't even see it coming. That's a great point. If it's already pulling drawers, it's going to pull humans. It's invisible. You can't even tell. So other occurrences during this time were bangs, thuds, knocking, um, and sudden dramatic temperature drops. Typical. Mm -hmm. Typical haunting, Mm -hmm. if I say so myself. So the spirits began to turn their attention to Robert's toys. One night, Mark and Marianne were getting ready for bed. They were sitting in the bed. And all of a sudden, Marianne felt something hit her in the head. Oh, shit. And someone had thrown one of Robert's toys at her. Oh, my God. Here's the creepy part. When she picked up the toy, it was a black dog. The <gasps> toy. It was a toy black dog. Oh, my God. And no one in all of my research, no one, like, made a connection with that. Yeah. But I'm noticing that it's a black dog. And I'm like, how did no one pick Hello? up on this? Hello, fresh. Gosh, that is insane. So there. So that was one toy that got thrown at her. And she was like, what the hell was that? Because she knew her kid was on the other side of the house sleeping because they also had a baby monitor. Ah, fuck. But someone just threw it from the hallway. Oh, by the way, if you don't know, black dogs symbolize death, right? Or they yeah, symbolize... they're they're the escorts to hell, right? Yeah, no big deal. It's it's like it's fine. like it's like what my job will be when I die. <laughs> no, and we've already determined your job <laughs> is to tell people how wasteful they are. <laughs> um. So anyway, <clears throat> they couldn't figure out who threw the toy at them, and then as they're talking about it, another stuffed animal hits her in the face too so she's just getting pelted with toys in the face it's like toy story live that's so sad toy story live they're like it's like when buzz lightyear learned how to fly (laughs) which is right into her face they like got a catapult and started launching themselves like is his name robert or was it andy you know oh man there it is toy story 4 robert the doll get it oh oh man oh no listen so uh after the second toy 
hit her in the face. They were like, what the hell? And then all of a sudden, shit you not, according to the story, toys were pelting at them <laughs> from all over the room. What? Like, in parts where toys didn't exist, they were just coming, like, from, like, the air. They were just coming from, they were just appearing out of nowhere and just throwing themselves 360 degrees. Oh They're sitting God. in a bed, and all they can see is the hallway, and, like, the wall behind them oh all of a sudden is God. getting toys thrown at them. That, I... Like, they're just getting, like, pummeled with toys. Uh -uh. So they get scared as adults and hide under the covers. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is exactly what I'd fucking do. For sure. I mean, 360 degrees. What are you toys supposed to do? Get low. <laughs> <laughs> they won't see you. Drop to the deck. <laughs> so they cover themselves with the blanket. Um, but then as soon as they try to cover themselves, the blanket gets ripped away no. from them. No. No. And then Mark suddenly screams out in pain. And when he took off his shirt later, there were 13 giant red scratch marks <gasps> that appeared on his back. 13? 13. That's sick. Also, like, that means that guy did not have an even amount of claws on his hands. Well, that's what I'm thinking. It's like that one person who's got a sixth toe. Well, maybe it had a 13-clawed hand. Oh. You know? And he was just like, like one time. Yes. 13 is a lot, though. 13 fingers on one hand is for sure excessive so excessive like, maybe he had like seven and seven but like he didn't clip one of them or he clipped it too far oh or maybe the thumb was kind of just like didn't fit on like mm -hmm. in the picture maybe like he's like look 13's enough yeah that <clears throat> maybe he had 20 and he thought 13 was a more ominous number i mean maybe m yeah maybe he had one and he just was like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten oh <laughs> Imagine a devil with one finger only. <laughs> He's like just always proving a point. He's like, actually, just be like, tisk, tisk, tisk. One claw. He just went, watch it there for a second. It's, listen, you never know. And I could be right. You really could be. He could come down and point at us with his one finger and be Ew. like, that is true. And then he could give us... But he can't, like, sassy snap to us, He though. can't, but he couldn't give us the finger all the time. Maybe he only has one middle finger. Oh, my gosh. That's probably what it is. Is it a middle finger if there's nothing on either side? I think it's just, like, a lone finger. Let's go on. Okay. So the scratches completely disappeared the following morning. Eesh. Did they take pictures? Uh, We'll get there. From there, after the scratches... This spirit seemed to become obsessed with the toys and started using them for more than just throwing them at the couple. He would use them as, like, props to scare them. Ew. So one day they were walking by their son's room and they saw his rocking horse hanging by its reins from the ceiling. What? And, like, hanging by nothing. It's not like it was nailed up there. Like, it was literally just hanging in the air. What? As if someone was holding the reins. And the horse was just hanging. What the fuck? Um... Uh, there was also a stuffed animal of a bunny, and the couple found it sitting at the top of the stairs with a box cutter in its hands. No! <laughs> like, no. such a dramatic-ass poltergeist. No! Making his point. What a crazy fucking psycho. So, toys would also roll across the floor on their own. Um, they would make eerie moaning noises. They would turn on by themselves, and then they started having voices of their own growling at the couple. Good. Yeah. Now I'm just picturing that bunny with a box cutter rolling on the ground and moaning. <laughs> no. <laughs> just like all in all in one. Another time, um, fun fact, the bathroom sink suddenly filled with blood. Oh. And began to overflow onto the floor 
which vanished right away. Sure, like very shine. much like the movie It, or like Shining style, like yeah, flood of- you just like blink and the blood's gone, or like only you can see it and no one I've else never can. seen it, so sorry to. Oh, there's like a very classic bathroom blood oh. scene. Um, I'm that person. Sorry, guys. We're gonna get emails. <laughs> uh, soon, this is where it gets a little weird. Oh, this is where it gets weird. Oh, I was waiting. I was like, why is it so normal? <laughs> it's too normal. It's like the one finger devil playing Toy Story all over again in my bathroom. <laughs> There's a stuffed bunny with a knife. It's so normal. So it started getting electronic. Oh, fuck. So all of us. Well, not yet. Hang on. I, I spoke too soon. Okay. The spirits started leaving threatening messages on the magnetic doodle board in the son's room. You know, <laughs> like, poor the, kid. you know, that like magnetic board that everyone had. It was like in the show Friends, always hanging on the door and like you would write messages on it. Oh, just like a little whiteboard thing. It was like a whiteboard, but it was magnetic. Like it wasn't oh. a whiteboard, but it was like gray. And if you drew on it, like magnetic sand drew like an edge sketch type in magic doodle board from Friends. Okay. I feel like my German family didn't have this. Okay. It's like an Etch-a-Sketch, but instead of doing it with knobs... Oh, you draw, you draw it. And also, you can't shake it to go away. You have oh, to actually... Oh, you do the cover. thing. Yeah. Oh, I think I just... Con- yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I just confused that with an Etch-a-Sketch. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. It's called a... Ma- oh. A magnet doodle. Yeah, I for sure know what that is. Sorry. Go okay, ahead. so they... Basically, this poltergeist was really into Robert's magnet doodle. Oh, no. And started drawing a bunch of, like eerie pictures and death threats and keep in mind the kid's like not even three yet so like are we sh- so we're sure it's not the yeah kid. he can't write or read and he well like especially he's not he can't read or write this shit because the things on the board were saying you're dead just go die bitch and rest in peace rest in peace that's <laughs> creepy and then there were like weird strange symbols drawn next to it that looked a lot like pentagrams fuck anyway what the fuck oh, and then there was um one said, I'm going to kill you, and a drawing of an upside-down cross was next to it. This really does sound like a friend's upside <laughs> Classic Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know that we know they know we know. <laughs> uh, so the messages moved from the Magnadoodle to emails and texts. What? And so they started getting random texts saying, I got you, bitch, and die now. I'm sorry. What the fuck? So it got tech savvy. Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm hesitant about because when I was uh, an investigator in Yorktown, Mm -hmm. I had to teach ghosts what a phone was. It wasn't like they just inherently knew of the technology or how to control it. But maybe it wasn't a ghost. Maybe it was like a a demon, like a... Like a poltergeisty, like they're more like... They're not human-based or... Yeah, they're more like they know what's going on in the... Because, like, what, yeah. why, a ghost wouldn't know what a magnadoodle is, right? Right. I don't know, though. I don't know. But oh anyway. God. It's like the episode where Ross got a pager. Oh, right. Yes, for sure. So they graduated to technology. <laughs> so, Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The one where Ross gets a pager. <laughs> this is the episode. The one where the demon. The one where the, epi- the, one where the demon plays with a magnadoodle and then becomes tech savvy. So, <clears throat> so he emails them. You're going to die today, going to get you. And another one says, I can get you when you're awake or I'll come for you when you're asleep, bitch. <laughs> so for a while they thought like, okay, well, someone's clearly like pranking us. us or stalking us or fucking with us in some way. They got the police involved, but they couldn't track the number to any email account or any number. Ugh. And then 
they found out that the the texts which makes no sense but this came from like cyber police whatever the fuck they're called oh right the cyber police <laughs> you know what i'm talking about like the people the people in police involved with electronics the people in NCI- <clears throat> ncis yes okay everyone that is not mershka hargate but still important <laughs> that's uh, law and order svu thank you very much they they found out that all of the texts were coming from their home phone mm. which makes no sense because it's a landline it should have not been getting texts but all the numbers were connected to their house that's fucked up it was very classic scary movie of it's it's coming from inside the house right right oh god so it's okay so the texts are coming I just can't stop picturing the two-year-old texting, like, die, bitch, from his mom's <laughs> home phone. But That's very <laughs> shining. <laughs> yes. Red rum. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I'm already scared. Anyway. So, anyway, supposedly all these emails and phone calls are coming from the landline. The emails, too? Even the emails. What? It's like the email address was the number of their, their house. Their home number? Very weird shit. What the fuck? So, they're... Their cell phone also was being incessantly called from the landline while they were the only ones in the house oh. and had, but not even like, like they only had one phone in their kitchen and they would stand by it. Oh no. And the phone is not going off. No one's touching the phone and the cell phone would be getting calls from that number. Oh no, 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 no. And apparently it was incessant and in keeping them up every night. Um, and they didn't have an attic or anywhere where someone could have been hiding. It oh. was like, just like a one floor house. Um, one time the couple... <clears throat> this is another part where it got kind of creepy. One time the couple was downstairs with their son and the son vanished in front of them. What? Just like a blink of an eye went boink, just gone. Like, Oh my God. Like I dream of genie shit. Like, Oh no. Boink. And then, uh, they heard him screaming from somewhere and then they ran upstairs to find him and he was on the floor wrapped in a blanket with a plastic table perched upside down on top of him. What the hell? Yep. Uh, the boy was apparently in a trance and his eyes were staring blankly into the air, which means um, which means that he probably wasn't the one screaming. And then <gasps> when they asked him, like, what happened, they even said, like, we could hear you screaming. And he was like, I wasn't screaming. <laughs> what? <laughs> so it was like they just wanted him to, they just wanted the couple to find him upstairs. Ugh. Remember that story we got? It was a listener story of yes, that's what I thought of too. Who ended up in the hallway with the, the a table who, upside down on him? Yes, yes, that's exactly what happened in this story. Oh no! Which validates that woman's story, by the way. Let's yeah. all remember that. Or guy? I think it was a guy. Well, I don't remember. I think it, she was talking about her son. Oh, she was. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, another time, the boy vanished again, and they found him in a closet upstairs, again tightly wrapped up in a blanket. What the fuck? Okay. Also, like. This poor child at three years old is going to school being like, I just vanished. And they're like, they're like, yeah, you didn't vanish. You just played hide and seek really well. Yeah. Like, they're <laughs> like, stop wrapping yourself in a blanket, you weirdo. So they eventually called people in to investigate. So they got two researchers named Mike Hollowell and Darren Ritson. Mm-hmm. They set up all their equipment, which include motion activated cameras, sensors, and other gear. Um, Immediately, they were able to see the toys beginning to move around and make inexplicable noises and even talk to them. They saw disembodied voice. Well, they heard disembodied voices emanated from an old baby monitor that oh. was turned off. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Um, also, all of their gear kept getting turned off or would break. And then they also had knives getting thrown at them from nowhere. 
Oh, okay. Classic. <laughs> Classic poltergeist. So the investigators also witnessed objects levitating. They saw blankets get yanked off of beds. They saw lampshades swinging, lights sh- swinging, and they saw furniture balancing on its own in weird angles. So one thing that they apparently actually caught on camera, which I did not, I actually didn't try to find it, which I don't know why. I think I was kind of freaked out. It's, they yeah. they f- captured on film a water bottle balancing on the table at an unnatural diagonal position. So like it was like hanging out on its There's end. There's something so creepy about that. Yeah. Because it's, I think it's because it's something so ordinary. Yeah. Like if they wanted to make like this giant loud statement, they could have done it with like a couch or a bed. Right. But he's doing something so gentle right in front of you. Yeah. It's like as if someone was standing there holding it. It's like too tender for something that you know is so aggressive. That's terrifying. So the two investigators say that they also saw the poltergeist in human form in the son's bedroom. Wait, what? They said it was a large, dark, human-shaped figure on the balcony, and it paced around in Robert's room. Marianne was with them and also saw this and screamed when she saw the apparition. And the spirit then walked through the room at them and then vanished right in front of them. Oh, no. Hollowell has a quote about the experience and says... The entity walked slowly from the bathroom across the landing into the bedroom. As it passed the door to Robert's room, it paused and stared icily at me. Its face, devoid of all features such as eyes, nose, or mouth, was cold and menacing. It felt like it was burrowing into my soul. It was large, maybe two meters in height, and midnight black. It was three-dimensional, a silhouette, and it just radiated sheer evil. I'm freaking out a little bit. So a camera had been set up in that room, naturally wasn't turned on. Uh, So they could have caught it, didn't. And the thing is, they swear that the camera was turned on the last time they went up there. They were actually up there to check on the camera, and it was turned off. So either someone was just clumsy and forgot, or this thing turned it off, and the energy in the room like killed the battery. Right. Hollowell also said... It was a gutting experience. We all saw it, but the camera was off and we didn't get the proof we needed. Oh, man. But that's what they say. Like, you can try as hard as you want to get proof. And some- if they don't want to be seen, they won't be seen. Right, exactly. Um, so the poltergeist continued to attack Mark, but this time he was in shadow form. So everyone actually saw him attacking Mark. And everyone saw him put large scratch marks into Mark's back. And Poor they said, Mark. here's an answer to the only finger issue the one finger they saw this the thing that scratched him had talons oh so multiple so Mm -hmm. not one talon and then later that night they saw him getting scratched again but they saw it happening and like they didn't see the shadow there anymore they just watched mark screaming with his shirt off and they watched scratches form in real time in his (laughs) back with nothing there why was his shirt off because they were looking at the last scratches. Oh, 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 okay. He just runs around naked during investigations. <laughs> oh, this is a nudist colony. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> so you could actually watch the scratches forming in real time. Um, and this is another quote from Holloway. Um, you could watch. You could actually watch the scratches forming in real time. First, an elongated red patch, then sharply defined scratches within it. Cuts started to appear on the right-hand side of his back. They immediately bled. Then Mark's skin started to change color. It went dark, almost as if it was sunburnt. Oh. I've seen films and stills of poltergeist scratches appearing before, but nothing like this. Oh, my God. Um, this time, they actually did catch it on tape, 
and apparently there's it's poor quality but you can find somewhere on the internet a video of something scratching into mark at real time and you can see his back like creating scratches out of with nothing around like you see scratches forming on him oh my god um, several other attacks were witnessed. Um, they always targeted Mark. So poor guy at the end of this, he had a lot of welts and scratches and bleeding and bruising. Um, then just as suddenly as the poltergeist activity happened, it all went away one day. Just what? stopped this. It's like such a tease. It's like, we want to see this guy get caught. Yes. Yes. Well, listen, Mariska Hargitay would never let this happen. She'd be like, this is a cold case if I've ever seen one. <laughs> But that won't stop me. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. So, uh, <clears throat> Hollowell and Ritson, they ended up writing a book about this later called The South Shields Poltergeist, One Family's Fight Against an Invisible Intruder. And they still swear that everything described in that book actually happened. I keep getting chills. This is creeping me out. They also called this poltergeist haunting. Uh, they said it was so rare to get this kind of activity, so intelligent and so aggressive and so violent. Um... They said it was so rare that it should be deemed part of the, quote, Premier League of Hauntings. <laughs> I googled what Premier League ghost means, uh-huh. and apparently it's a soccer team. So <laughs> I was about to say, this sounds like a soccer team. <laughs> well, apparently it's the it's a Premier League. The Premier League ghosts. It was like an article, and it was apparently the the people on the Premier League for soccer that are like not as appreciated. That are really pale. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> that actually float. That are dead and came back. They from... walk right through the goal. <laughs> so Marianne has said, "I don't think I'll ever be the same again. If I hear a noise that I can't explain or something goes missing, I always wonder if it's come back again." Um, which I don't blame her. How scary! And that's why she drinks. Duh. The authors, um, like at the end, so. Holloway and Ritson, they assume that the reason that all this was happening and building and building is because the poltergeist was just trying to create fear in order to generate emotion that it could feed from. But then once they saw that like someone was getting scratched up and like no one was going to leave, it just got frustrated that it wasn't scaring them out of the house and just went away. It was just like moving on. Yeah. It got bored. God. But so South Shields poltergeist, if you guys are trying to Google it. That is terrifying. That is honestly really fucking terrifying. It just freaks me out that like even text messages, like you weren't even safe in your own phone. No. Imagine if it like started like posting some like really bad pictures of you on Instagram. Oh God. You're right. A poltergeist could really, with it could technology. really, really fuck up my social media relationship with others. Like my reputation's <laughs> online, literally online. <laughs> Imagine uh, if you just like someone texted us and was like, <clears throat> what's going on with your snapchat right now like it's just kind of like flying around like and we'd be like what are you talking about it's flying around like videos of just like toys getting thrown at you <laughs> that'd be pretty cool i feel like i'd be into it <laughs> what's with the uh what's with the twitter all about your husband's scratches down his back or being like die bitch die bitch <laughs> <laughs> that's more alarming anyway i can't, I that i don't keep looking around i just don't like having my back to most of the room it freaks me out i like that my back is to the wall it is nice to makes have... me feel safe yeah i'm gonna try but according to this story you're i'm still not safe either think like a, a knife could just show up out of nowhere and stab me in the back stop it em i'm gonna turn this table after we record so that we're both by a wall i don't know i'll figure it out okay 
You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things, but Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click the microphone at the top of the page and enter code drink it feels very fitting that juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy we're happy but because we're not mind readers we don't always know when they're unwell and in my experience cats are not the most you know open when it comes to sharing their woes and there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD to save 20%. Prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right. Here's the thing. Tell me. You want to know a thing? Uh-huh. This is, you already called me on it because I said, uh, it's 10 pages. There's so much information, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. And Em said, oh, it's Ted Bundy. And I went, no, it's not. And then Blaze was like, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> He's like, yes, it is, Christine. <laughs> so here we are, Ted Bundy. Everyone is freaking out in their cars right now. We have gotten so many goddamn emails from everyone under the sun wanting Ted Bundy. We're doing it on our anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. This is what y'all wanted is what y'all are getting. And here's the thing. I didn't know that much about Ted Bundy because I feel like I knew it's just one of those serial killers where I was like, oh, yeah, I know the gist of Ted Bundy. But like, I didn't I don't really know the details. Well, true to form, my mother is involved in the Ted Bundy case. Oh, even better. Even better. Even what? What is she not involved in besides the South Shields poltergeist? (laughs) You know what? She probably was the poltergeist being like. These chairs are disgusting. Try again. 
She's like, like, do you not even respect yourselves? Do you want guests in this house? I mean, low tier Ikea is not the way to go. (laughs) If you're having guests at your house. Anyway, she was involved in the case. Very minimally. No one ever like asked for her questioning or anything. But one of those things that I hear so many times, like through my favorite murder and even our emails, like, oh, my mom or my aunt or whoever, like encountered Ted Bundy it's amazing how many people he got through in his time so many people also I'm currently oh people are going to email us and be like are we just flying over that Linda didn't was involved in this so I'm just going to say it now before we get a million emails can we tell the story about how Linda because everyone knows Ted Bundy enough I think so just tell Linda's story um well it was her college roommate I think I think it was her college roommate or where was she she went to school in Florida she's a gator there it is U of F University of Florida and FSU were like a three-hour drive from each other. But right. apparently his radius his radius was huge because he was also going out of... I mean, I, I'm guessing here, but I think he went out of his local area so that people wouldn't recognize him. Yeah, he had a tendency to spread out. Well, he... So my mom's, like, I think it was college roommate or sorority sister or something like that, um, went to the mall and ran into him at the mall... And he was being really charming. And I mean, that was his thing to be really charming right. and like a woo woman. And he uh, then all of a sudden got really aggressive about like, oh, I'm a photographer and I want to take your picture and um, come back with me. Like I have like this whole setup at my apartment. And she was like, she just got like one of those gut feelings yeah. of like fuck politeness. And she was like, no, I'm not going. And he got really aggressive, but eventually walked away. Oh my God. And then a couple of weeks later he was on the news and she was like, Oh fuck. That, I would have yeah. absolutely died. That would have been right around that time. Oh yeah. my God. That gives me chills. Yep. I, it's one of those things where you hear so many stories of like, Oh, my aunt was driving and like yeah. ran into him or he had a cast and like, da da da. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. And then I, read like the stories of how he got these women and it's like holy fuck to be that close to this guy well fun fact i'm also working currently on the ted bundy movie coming out that was my first bullet starring zach efron extremely wicked shockingly even evil and vile yep zach efron is going to be in the ted bundy movie and they just announced um Oh, uh, they just announced John Malkovich is in it too. Which yes, I'm yes. Real excited about. I love me some John Malkovich. So I like how you said the whole title because um, we've been calling it a work usive. Oh, really? Well, we also thought that was going to be its code name because a lot of shows that we work on have code titles. Usive, yeah, usive. <laughs> but we thought it was gonna. We thought like that title would never actually land as being the name of the movie. We thought for sure they were gonna change the title, and that was just its code. It's a long ass fucking name. I know, but apparently it's like a quote that someone said about must, him. That's what I figured. I figured it was somebody's. But also the movie, which I'm super disappointed about, isn't actually like the movie we all want to see. It's from the perspective of his girlfriend. Oh, but that is interesting. But it's just so everyone's aware. It's not gonna be like. A movie version of a documentary of Ted Bundy. Yeah. You don't apparently, like, I can't really, actually, I can't say too much. I read the script. I can't. You did? Yeah. Send it to me. (laughs) M, send it to me. I already know what's going to happen in it. I already know. M, send it to me right now. Please. I'll pay you. (laughs) In wine. (laughs) Um, I'm going to scream and kick you in the face. Can you please let me read it? (laughs) Um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. Christine's like drunk winking. <laughs> I'm not drunk winking. I know 
I, I really, I, I don't know what I'm allowed to say. All I know is it's the perspective of the girlfriend. Okay. And there, I don't, there's, I would, I, if I were ever to see a movie about Ted Bundy, I would want it to be a bloodbath. It's not a bloodbath. <laughs> That's all. There's definitely, I mean, you see, you get what you want, but it's but, not like, uh, like murder every, every scene. But it is interesting to learn about the girlfriend because she suspected him very early on. Mm-hmm. And was reporting him to police and didn't tell him and he would come visit her and she wouldn't tell him like, oh, by the way, I've been talking to police. Right. So it's very, it is, it is interesting that she was kind of like tracking his patterns, but okay. I guess I should tell you guys. Just tell us the story. About Theodore. So. Once upon a time. Oh my. Theodore Robert Bundy was born as Theodore Robert Cowell on November 24th, 1946 at the Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers in Burlington, Vermont. Oh, no. By the way, how much do you know about Ted Bundy? I really didn't know much about him, to be honest. Uh, I like to think I know a lot about him, but I bet you're going to teach me something. I feel like I... I don't know, because I have so many notes, but there's so much more that I like couldn't fit, and I worry that I'm not really going as broad as I could, but... It's okay. Um, but to be honest, I really didn't know too much about him before this. Growing up, he lived with his grandparents, and he thought they were his parents. Nice. And he thought his through, throughout his entire childhood and young adulthood that his mother was actually his older sister. Mm. So they did that for, like, um... Forever. The word? <laughs> no, not forever. But they did that for uh, appearances. Oh, To yes. say that yeah. his, his mother was his sister. Right. Uh, forever. (laughs) Forever. Forever. So some family members actually thought that Bunny's father might actually have been his mother's father, so his grandfather. Um, Samuel Cowell, who was very violent and abusive. Uh, According to most people who knew him, he was an extremely racist bigot who beat his wife and the family dog and would swing neighborhood cats by the tail. Fuck! And he also uh, threw his daughter, Julia, down a flight of stairs one time when she overslept. So he was extremely violent. So a lot of people actually suspected that his dad was his own grandfather. Um, Ted started, Yeah, sick. Uh, Ted started showing disturbing behavior at a young age. When he was three, his Aunt Julia woke up from a nap to find herself surrounded by knives. Oh, my. That Ted had taken from the kitchen and surrounded her with... And she saw Ted standing at the side of the bed, smiling at her. Uh Uh-uh. Three years old. No, no. I would... I would have already... What would you do? I would... I don't want to say anything because I don't want mothers to write in. They're going to freak out. But I would do something very unmotherly, probably. Me too. I would... Just because I don't know how... I don't know what it's like to love a child so much that even if they surround me with knives and smile (laughs) that I still love them. Okay, think about Gio. What would you do if Gio surrounded you with knives? Oh, I would never see Gio again. Really? I'd be like, oh, silly Gio. <laughs> see, I don't have I don't have the parental love yet. Interesting. I would be like, get the fuck away from me. If it were a child, I would send them to live with Uncle M. <laughs> no, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, little Billy just needs needs a <laughs> needs a couple months to to live in the tiny house that you own. The tiny house, yeah. That tiny house would be barricaded and padlocked. <laughs> You're gonna wake up and there's gonna be a bunch of chairs on on a table, and there's People gonna be would think I was abusive, and I'm like, he's trying to kill me. <laughs> there's gonna be one of those. What are they called? Doodle. What are they called? Magna doodles. A magna doodle says, "Die, bitch." 
<laughs> I'd be like, that wasn't my son. Yeah, no, not mine. It must be a poltergeist. Yeah, or anyway. Ted Bundy. It must be Ted Bundy. P.S. Now that I'm doing Ted Bundy, Blaze keeps making hilarious, quote unquote, jokes, where earlier I heard a noise outside and he goes, oh my God, it's Ted Bundy. And I'm like, stop it. And I was like, yeah, haha, the ghost of Ted Bundy is like, oh, you didn't know he's still alive? And I was like, it's not a funny fucking joke, you asshole. So, just saying. Blaze is a a comedian at heart. Blaze is fucking hilarious. (laughs) All right. Must have gotten it from his aunt. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe. (laughs) The rude humor. All right, so in 1950, Ted's mother, Louise, abruptly changed her last name from Cowell to Nelson and left with her son to live with her cousins in Tacoma, Washington. In 1951, she attended something called Adult Singles Night at Tacoma's First Methodist Church. Oh, yeah. I go to those. Yeah, I know. I figured you would know all about it. Yeah. Right. For sure. I'm actually going to ordain a lot of their weddings. (laughs) You're a priest, actually, at Singles Night. Oh, yeah. I'm a lot of things over there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to stop asking questions. (laughs) Um, There she met a man named Johnny Culpepper Bundy. Oh. And he was a hospital cook. And they got married that year, and he formally adopted Ted as his own son, which is when Ted became Ted Bundy. I see. Uh, during his time in Tacoma, Ted would consume large quantities of alcohol, and he would canvass the community at night, searching for open windows where he could watch women undress. And how old was he? Um, he was a teenager. Neat. Yep. Fun times. So after high school, Bundy started at the University of Washington in 1966 to study Chinese. Um, in 1967, he started dating a classmate named Stephanie Brooks, and he dropped out a year later. And that year, in 1968, Stephanie Brooks ended their relationship because she described Bundy as immature and ha- having a lack of ambition. Hmm. But Bundy was so devastated by this rejection that he traveled east. He left town. He enrolled for one semester at Temple University in Philadelphia. And one of his biographers, Anne Rule, believes that this is the time when he visited his birth records in Vermont, in Burlington, Vermont, and discovered that his sister was actually his mother and that his father was unknown. So this is Yeesh. where okay. they think he kind of had that moment of like... Like his own breakdown? Yeah, exactly. Like he went to look up his own records and was like, ah, fuck, like everything I knew was a lie. Right. Um, so he moved back to Washington that fall and he started dating a woman named Elizabeth Klopfer, who I think is probably the woman whose, um, account is in the Ted Bundy Yeah, Liz. Yeah, Liz, exactly. Because she kind of is a character throughout the whole rest of his life. Yes. Yes. So in 1971, he started working at Seattle's Suicide Hotline Crisis Center, which is really interesting to me. Um, he worked as- alongside Ann Rule, who I just mentioned as one of his biographers. So she was a former police officer and an aspiring crime writer and was his co-worker. And they got really close because they spent a lot of nights together. And she wrote later wrote one of the definitive Bundy biographies called The Stranger Beside Me. Cool. Um, yeah. And I haven't read it, but it's on my bucket list because it's just like really cl- – I mean, she was working with him for years. And uh, it's fascinating because – she said she saw nothing disturbing in his personality. She trusted him completely. Um, she described him as kind, solicitous, empathetic. She even I watched a documentary a couple of days ago, and she even explained that he had saved so many lives working at the suicide crisis hotline that she couldn't believe that he Isn't had... that wild? Yes. Like, such a philanthropist, yes. such a saint. 
it's I think it's just a power thing, you know. I think so too. It was just like a, mo- a move for a move for control. Yeah, must be because it, it's just crazy. So she said, like the two of us saved so many lives. It was so hard for her to wrap her head around. I bet it also helped him like rationalize, like okay, well, I killed this many people, but I saved this many people's maybe, lives, so maybe. maybe I cancel out. Yeah, maybe. Um. So. The New Yorker called her biography perhaps the most unnerving true crime book ever published. So, oh. obviously, wow. it's gonna I'm be good. Summer Beach Read for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited to read. Ah, hey, and that's where we drink book club. Oh, yes. That ex- oh, that'd be a great idea. I think so, right? Yeah. And then the movie club should be Usev. Usev. <laughs> Well, especially because the movie's coming out, and since the they already read the H.H. H. Holmes one, and the movie's coming out, Devil in the White City. We'll see. All right. Bundy began... Okay, so, anyway. After this, Bundy began working as an assistant to Ross Davis, who was the chairman of the Washington State Republican Party. Mm-hmm. His, his co-workers described him ha- as smart, aggressive, and a believer in the system. On a Republican Party business trip to California, Bundy rekindled his relationship with Stephanie Brooks, the woman who had dumped him mm-hmm. before. Um, he presented himself completely differently as a transformed man, and they rekindled their romance. But he continued to d- uh, date Liz Klepfer in Seattle mm-hmm. or Tacoma or wherever they were. So neither woman knew of the other's existence. I see. So their relationship grew extremely serious. Um, she visited him in Seattle all the time. They discussed marriage. He even introduced her to people as his fiance, and she was head over heels for him. And then in January of 1974, he abruptly broke off all contact. He wouldn't return any calls or letters. And when she finally got a hold of him and asked what was going on, he calmly said, Stephanie, I have no idea what you mean. Mm. And hung up. She never heard from him again. He later explained that he just wanted to prove to himself that he could have married her if he wanted to. Trifling. Narcissistic. Trifling. Gross. Brooks later said, so Stephanie later said that um, she believes he deliberately planned the entire relationship in advance just as vengeance for her breaking up with him in 1968. Okay. Then, mysteriously, young women in the Pacific Northwest began to disappear. Around midnight on January 4th, 1974, this is the first um, documented murder of bundy's although okay. it's like highly debated when right his... it's the first documented but maybe like the 10th or 20th 100 percent actual one exactly so midnight january 4th 1974 bunny broke into the basement apartment of 18 year old karen <sighs> sparks a dancer and a freshman at university of washington mm. he bludgeoned her with a metal rod from her bed fuck and then proceeded to rape her with the same rod. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I know. <sighs> Causing extensive internal injuries. Yeah. Fuck, that's horrible. She remained unconscious for 10 days, but survived <sighs> with permanent disabilities. Fuck. Can, I mean... This oh my is, god. I mean, I'm just gonna say this. This is one of those things. This is why... I'm gonna tell you the truth, because I've had three glasses of wine. I didn't do Ted Bundy for a long time because it has always bothered me when people are like, I love Ted Bundy. I'm in love with him and have like posters of him. And I'm like, well, he does actually have like real fans that really to this day defend him. No, I know. Like he was getting so many love letters in jail Yeah, because he had charmed so many women that they really like, 
even with all the stories of like, he is known for charming women. He has charmed hundreds of women. All of them would be like, that's not true. I'm the only one. He He's told me I love him. sociopath. And it's like when people like kind of romanticize like, oh, he's a serial killer, but he's handsome and he died. It's like, yeah, yeah but he like, also raped a woman with a metal rod. Like it just yeah. has always kind of rubbed like, me the wrong up, way. Like wake up, guys. Yeah. It's always rubbed me the wrong way. So that's kind of why I've always been a little bit hesitant to do this, but fuck him. Okay. <laughs> yes. So anyway. That's exactly what Satan's doing to him right now, actually. So probably yes so i was watching a documentary on this and at the end literally at the end of the documentary it said something like people always like glorified ted bundy as this like handsome sociopath serial killer and it's like but nobody ever remembers like the at the like, brutal shit he did dozens and dozens of women that died like no one knows their names but everyone's like oh ted bundy i want to buy a ted bundy like like when in doubt like imagine that was someone you cared about like mm-hmm. they're dead now and everyone's like oh i love the guy that did that to the person you care about yeah or they at least like talk about him and remember him and it's like there are dozens of women who are 18 years old or 19 or even like 15. and have gone un- unmarked like they're still cold cases because they never got found out yeah exactly anyway that's my tiny little rant but going on tiny little rant we have a fucking podcast <laughs> called and that's why we drink oh, you're right i should probably spend another hour on this ready <laughs> go <laughs> um okay so she survived with permanent disabilities in the early morning hours of so this is kind of where i go into like hey this is what happened i'm just gonna list them all yeah in the early morning hours of february 1st um of that same year 1974 less than a month later bundy broke into the basement room of a university of washington undergrad student named linda ann healy whose job was to broadcast morning radio weather reports for skiers, which, by the way, he was an avid skier, and that was the one thing in his childhood that every every biographer can agree on, is that he loved skiing. And he would, like, steal, um, like, passes to the ski resorts and things like that. Yeah. But he was, he loved skiing. He was, like, an avid skier. So her job was reporting the weather for skiers. So that's how he probably knew who she was. Probably. Um, he beat her unconscious before dressing her in blue jeans, a white blouse, and boots, and carrying her away. Ugh. Female college students continue to disappear at the rate of about, at the rate of about one per month. On March twelfth, a nineteen. Can you imagine every month one, just like another student, just vanishes? Yeah. It sounds like like a nineties horror movie yes. of like. Oh, you're a gang of six. Well, how about that? A month later and four of them have dropped dead. Like, and then there were five. Yeah, yeah. They just keep going. On March 12th, a 19-year-old student at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, named Donna Gail Manson, left her dorm to attend a jazz concert on campus but never arrived. On April 17th, Susan Elaine Rancourt disappeared while on her way to her dorm room. Um, two female Central Washington students later came forward to report encounters with a man wearing an arm sling asking for help Ugh. and carrying a load of books to his tan Volkswagen Beetle. Gross. What an adult way of, I lost my puppy. What a sicko, right? Yeah. On May 6th, Roberta Kathleen Parks left her dorm to have coffee with friends but never arrived. Uh, so at this point, all these women are going, like young women are going yeah. missing. Uh, detectives from King County Sheriff's Office, as well as the Seattle Police, were obviously growing more and more concerned, um, especially because they couldn't find any physical evidence, and they had a hard time linking the victims, aside from them being young, attractive, white college students with long hair parted in the middle. So basically, the only thing they could 
um, link the vic- link between the victims was like their hair was long and parted down the middle, and they were white college students. But it wasn't much to go on. Um, so on June tw- on June first of that year, twenty two year old Brenda Carol Ball disappeared after leaving a bar in Burien, Washington, near the Seattle Tacoma airport, and she was last seen in the parking lot talking to a brown haired man with his arm in a sling. Ugh. Uh huh. In the early Hours of June 11th, University of Washington student Georgianne Hawkins was walking down a brightly lit alley between her boyfriend's dorm and her sorority house when she vanished. And it was a really short distance. So she was just like, okay, I'm going to head home. And it was supposed to be like like a 30-second walk, and she vanished. Jesus. Um, during this period, Bundy was working in Olympia at the Washington State Department of Emergency Services, which was an agency involved in the search for the missing women. So he was literally Ugh. working for the organization. To just throw them off. Yeah, or, or just to, like, have a hand in what was going on or to know what was going on. Yeah. So he... And to look like there was no way it was him. Yeah, he knew everything. It was such a sociopath move of, like... So manipulative. He's so manipulative and, like, getting himself involved... Um, and while he was there, he met and started dating a woman named Carol Ann Boone. Um, on Sunday, July 14th of that year at a crowded beach at Lake Sammamish State Park in Asakwa, Washington, five female witnesses described an attractive young man wearing a white tennis outfit with his left arm in a sling, speaking with a light accent, possibly Canadian or British, who introduced himself as Ted and asked for their help in unloading a sailboat from his Volkswagen Beetle. So, four of them refused. One walked with him to his car, then saw there was no sailboat, and fled. Good. Yep. Uh, Three additional witnesses saw him approach a 23-year-old woman named Janice Ann Ott, who was a probation caseworker at the King County Juvenile Court. They saw her leave the beach in his company, and about four hours later, Denise Marie Nasland, a 19-year-old woman who was studying to become a computer programmer, stepped away from a picnic she was having with friends at the beach with her dog and went to to go use the public bathroom. Her dog returned to the picnic, but she never did. Oh, no. Like, all of her friends were right there. Yeah, she just went to the bathroom and never came back. And they found the dog wandering. Fuck. Yeah. So at that point, the King County Police finally had a detailed description of the suspect and his car. So they started posting flyers throughout the area. They had a composite sketch that was printed in regional newspapers and broadcast on TV. Um, Elizabeth Klopfer, his girlfriend, and Rule, the one that... um, he worked with at the suicide hotline and one of his professors all recognized him, his sketch and his car and reported him. But the detectives uh, were who were receiving about 200 tips a day thought it was unlikely that a clean cut law student with no criminal record could be the perpetrator. Of course. So multiple people who like professionals who worked with him reported him and they thought there's no way that when this- your own girlfriend is reporting you, yes. like take it seriously. Yes. So I'm sure that's probably part of the the movie. I don't know, but it's fascinating to me. Um, And a former police officer who worked with him was like, I recognize this guy. And they were like, no, he's a law student. He's a white guy who goes to law school. Right, of course. Because lawyers have never done anything. No. Anyway, let's just erase that before we get a million emails about lawyers. All lawyers go to heaven. Right, yes. In August 1974... 
Bundy moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, leaving his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. Liz, in Seattle. He called her often, but he dated at least a dozen other women while living in Salt Lake City. Jeez. Which I bet you if he had current technology and social media, she would have found out about. Or she would have caught that real quick. Real quick. Imagine how much more important trust was. Yes. Back then. Like, I'm moving to Salt Lake City. I'll visit you once a month. But, like, he's dating at least a dozen other women. Like, you really had, like, you had no way to check. I mean, mean, granted, you should trust someone enough that you shouldn't have to check these days. But, like, really, there was no firewall. But you never know. You never know what STDs he's bringing back from Salt Lake. Yeah. Just saying. Also, was he actually dating most of these women or dating slash killing? Like, where did he vet between, like, oh, I'll date you. Oh, I'm going to kill this one. What it seems from my research, at least my very minimal research, is that he dated people and then he would. Then he would kill them? No, not them. But, like, how would he decide which ones he wasn't going to kill? Because I think it was a thing of, like, he had a life of, like, going to law school and having girlfriends and blah, blah, blah. And then he had a completely different compulsion. To be like, I'm going to murder someone and then go find an 18-year-old yeah. with brown hair. Jesus. I don't think it was a thing of like, I'm going to get to know this person and then kill them. I think it was like... He really had to have no interest in them. <laughs> or like he just had to do it on a... On a compulsion or on something. a whim or a compulsion. Yeah. I'm not sure, but I, it feels like they were separate. Because mm. um, his girlfriends weren't the ones he was killing. Like he was visiting them and... Yeah. Talking about marrying them and I don't know. Um, So the following month, September of 1974, a new string of homicides began in the Salt Lake City area. Surprise, surprise. Um, On September 2nd, 1974, he raped and strangled a still unidentified hitchhiker in Idaho. Jesus. Then either disposed of the remains immediately in a nearby river or returned the next day to photograph and dismember the corpse. Uh biographers are unclear of (laughs) which one it is okay on october 2nd he abducted 16 year old nancy wilcox in a suburb of salt lake city he dragged her into a wooded area he later claimed he was intending to de-escalate his pathological urges by raping and then releasing her oh my god but he strangled her by accident Uh uh-huh in an attempt to silence her screams uh, her remains were buried near Capitol Reef National Park, about 200 miles away, according to him, but they were never found. <sighs> On October 18th, can you imagine? They were never found. So she was 16 years old. Her parents Fuck. never. Oh, it my just, God. It just killed me. On October 18th, Melissa Ann Smith, the 17-year-old daughter of the police chief of another Salt Lake City sub- suburb called Midvale. So she was the daughter of this police chief. She disappeared after leaving a pizza parlor. Um, Nine days later, her body, nude, was found in a nearby mountainous area, and an examination indicated she may have remained alive for up to seven days after her abduction. Just awful. On Halloween, October 31st of 19... What year are we in? Of 1974. uh, 17-year-old Laura Ann... I'm, 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 disappeared after leaving a cafe just after midnight. Her naked body was found by hikers in a canyon nine miles away on Thanksgiving Day. Mm. So it took three weeks to find her body. Both she and Melissa Ann Smith 
had been beaten, raped, sodomized, and strangled with nylon stockings. Fuck. Bundy later described his post-mortem rituals with their corpses, and he described um, that he would shampoo their hair and apply makeup after death. Fuck. In the afternoon of November 8th of 1974, Bundy approached 18-year-old telephone operator Carol Duranche at Fashion Place Mall in Murray, Utah. He identified himself as Officer Rosalind of the Murray Police Department and told her that someone had attempted to break into her car. He asked her to accompany her, him to the station to file a complaint, um, and she got into his car, and when she pointed out that he wasn't driving on the correct road that led to the police station, he attempted to handcuff her, um, and during the struggle, he accidentally fastened both handcuffs to the same wrist, and she was able to open the door and escape. Um, so that's interesting to me. Well, it's interesting because he was like a master of disguise. Like he was able to put on, that's why he evaded people for so, I mean, there's multiple reasons, but one of them is that he was able to put on all these ridiculous disguises, like facial hair and he changed his hair color mm -hmm. and he changed his identity and he was able to lie and say he was a police officer or a fire department, a firefighter, whatever. Um, so it's interesting when you said like your mom's friend met him in a mall or whatever and he was a photographer yeah, yeah. exactly it's just so creepy and also back then you had no way of checking there no. was no facebook you or... can't google the guy oh thank god for google god can you, do you realize how many lives google's probably saved probably thank you google google if you'd like to sponsor us let us know <laughs> well this, thank you for everything this episode is sponsored by google <laughs> except it's not a moment of silence for google <laughs> I will remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. I... Just get going. All right, I'm going. Okay. Hello, Google. Hello. Hello, Fresh. Okay. Later that evening, Deborah Jean Kent, a 17-year-old high school student, disappeared after leaving a theater production at her high school. Uh, on January 12th, 23-year-old nurse Karen Eileen Campbell disappeared while walking down a well-lit hallway between... Literally the elevator and her apartment door. Oh, they were right next to each other. And I saw a fucking picture of the hallway. And it's like 50 feet. It's like the elevator. How did he get her so swiftly? I'm sure it was like a ploy of like, Some oh, can you help me with my... Horrible. I mean, it's awful. He was like really young, you know? He's like 30 something. And he's like, sicko. Um, so her nude body was found a month later next to a dirt road just outside the resort. She had been killed by blows to her head and her body had deep cuts from a sharp weapon all over it. <sighs> On March 15th, Vail ski instructor Julie Cunningham, 26, disappeared while walking from her apartment to a dinner date with a friend. And not to be that bougie asshole, but... I went to Vale like pretty much every year growing up and Vale is like the teeniest, tiniest little precious town. And when I was like in college and we would visit, I would just call up by myself and be like, my, we'd all be like, okay, good night. See you tomorrow. And then I would like leave and oh go God. hang out with people. So just the thought that like someone was just walking, walking around teeny, tiny, cute town Vale and Jesus. abducted is just horrifying. Um, Anyway, this is just the episode where I say nothing except fuck and Jesus. I know you're the like two me. opposite <laughs> sides. 
You're like me with the gasping and like, what the fuck? I just don't know. I don't know what else to say. This is all horrible. I know. I don't know how we're going to come up with a title for this episode. Because... Just, <laughs> just apologies everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. Fuck Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Bundy later told investigators... So Julie Cunningham was the ski instructor who right. was abducted. So Bundy later told investigators that he had approached Cunningham on crutches and asked her to help carry his ski boots to his car. So she helped him carry his ski boots to his car. And then he clubbed her and handcuffed her, then raped her and strangled her at a secondary site near Rifle, Colorado. <sighs> Weeks later, he made the six-hour drive from Salt Lake City to revisit her remains. Ew. Yeah. Uh, Denise Lynn Oliverson, 25, disappeared near the Utah-Colorado border and Grand Junction on April 6th while riding her bicycle to her parents' house. Her bike and sandals were found under a viaduct near a railroad bridge. On May 6th, Bundy lured 12-year-old Lynette Don Culver from Pocatello, Idaho, and then drowned and then sexually assaulted her in his hotel room before disposing of her body in a river. On June 28th, Susan Curtis vanished from the campus of Brigham Young University um, in Provo, Utah. On August 16th, 1975, Bundy was finally arrested by a Utah Highway Patrol officer. Fucking finally. The officer had observed Bundy cruising in a residential area in the pre-dawn hours, like a big fucking creepo. Mm. Uh, He fled the area at high speed after seeing the patrol car. The officer searched the car. Um, He noticed the passenger seat had been removed. (laughs) Oh, have you seen the pictures? No. You haven't? Of the car? Yeah. No. Do it. Everyone, everyone just go Google Ted Bundy's car. It's the fucking creepiest thing in the world. They have it on display at a museum. Yeah. Like, no, I'll show you the inside. Oh, at the Museum of Crime and Punishment. <clears throat> it's so creepy. So he would keep, he, they cut out a, he cut out his seat so he could put a body there that was all like handcuffed and hogtied so no one would see a girl struggling from outside of the car. So, like, that's where girls, that's, like, that's what's creepy. If you're looking at the picture right now, know that exactly in that spot, several, several women were scared and about to die. That is so sick. It's sick. It's so sick. It's, I read somebody tweeting the other day. It's just a creepy car. It is. It's also a creepy, also, it's a Nazi car, just saying. Also, it's got, like. The color that a serial killer would probably that pick. tan It's color. like just like trying to blend in. It says, the faded beige Volkswagen Beetle. So gross. Yuck. Where is the National Museum of Crime? Is that in D.C.? I don't know, different? but let's go. Okay. 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 Jessica? We want to go there. Jessica! Make it happen. Oh, I thought you meant let's go. Like, come on, let's go. I was like, okay. No, no, no. I meant Jessica. <laughs> Get us to the Museum of Crime and Punishment. <laughs> okay. I was like, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, oh, it is in D.C. I've been there. Okay. Well, let's go back. Let's go back there. Yeah, it'd be cool if we could do like a vlog where we just traveled all of these places. Uh, A&E? Travel Channel? Are you listening? A&E. Hello? Hello. A&E. Fresh? <laughs> no? Hello? Right. Everyone write to Annie right now and pitch the idea and hopefully enough people hear it that they reach out to us and Listen, then we'll have a show on Annie. Remember that time when I said 
talk to Nickelodeon about it. And everyone tweeted Nickelodeon and look where I am. I'm working at Nickelodeon. Wow. Okay. So if we just speak it into existence, maybe it'll manifest itself with all of (laughs) (laughs) as the ambulances fly by. Oh man. And Christine's microphone just broke. This is very ominous. Maybe we don't want to show on Andy. Maybe we don't want to go to the crime museum. (laughs) I regret everything. Got it. Anyway, how about we leave it to y'all? If you write into Annie enough times, maybe they'll reach out to us and then it will just be, it'll just, if it's meant to be, it will be. Listen, if you want to make fate, bring us there. Just make fate. Bring if you want to be in charge of our destiny as we ask for it, maybe try writing to writing Annie. Do you want to or do you not want to? Or Discovery. Discovery might do it. Yeah. National Geographic. Even sci-fi. Sci-fi would do it. Now that they've changed their cool S Y. Or True TV. True TV would be all over it. Everyone right into True TV. What's the other one? I-O or I... Oh, Ion. Investigation Discovery. Oh, Ion. I'm thinking Ion. Mm -hmm. Anyway, write to just everyone, actually. Listen. It it wouldn't hurt. I mean... Everyone get onto Facebook and everyone agree which would most likely take us. And then all of you just ambush and berate them until they say, okay. Like, it's fine. If Cartoon Network wants us, that's fine. I'll do it. Christine can write. VH1 wants us. That's fine. If PBS wants us, I don't care. Okay. I'll stop swearing for you, PBS. Okay. Maybe TLC. We could do it in a tiny home. TLC. Tender love and care. That would be fun. Okay. So speak anyway, TLC, Ted Bundy, same thing. Speaking of tender loving care. <laughs> uh, so the officer who arrested him found his car with the front seat missing. Creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. He also found a ski mask, uh, a second mask fashioned from pantyhose, a crowbar, handcuffs, trash bags, a coil of rope, an ice pick, and other items that they assumed were like his whole murder kit. Yeah, basically a murder kit. Bundy explained that the ski mask was for skiing. (laughs) All right. He found the handcuffs in a dumpster. For handcuffing. Sure, sure. Uh, He said the rest were just common household items. But they searched his apartment. They found a guide to Colorado ski resorts with a check mark by the Wildwood Inn and a brochure that advertised a Viewmont High School play where Deborah Kent had disappeared. So he literally found a fucking brochure of her play and went and fucking abducted and murdered her. How horrible. Fucked. Horrible. Um, but unfortunately, the police did not have sufficient evidence to detain him, so he was released on his own recognizance. Uh, he later told investigators that searchers had missed a collection of Polaroid photographs of his victims that he had. Oh. And he destroyed the photographs after he was released. <sighs> How fucked up is that? He was like, well, got away with that. Let's burn any bridge we have left yep. or Ha-ha. any evidence that they could find. Salt Lake City police placed Bundy on 24-hour surveillance. Um, some investigators flew to Seattle to, in, uh, to interrogate uh, his girlfriend or interview her, Liz Klupfer. She told them that in the year prior to his move to Utah, she had discovered some objects that she couldn't understand in her house. And in Bundy's apartment, including crutches, a bag of plaster of Paris, and a meat cleaver that was never used for cooking. Oh, my. Additional objects included surgical gloves, an oriental knife, and a wooden case that he kept in his glove compartment, and a sack of women's clothing. 
Um, he was, and she like never questioned it. Wasn't like, well, she had already reported him like at least oh, so once to she police, just knew. and she was like, I don't know why these things are here, and yet. But it is weird. It's like she reported him multiple times. But at like, least she reported it, but then she saw like very obvious evidence and just knew at that point, don't even ask. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather just That's be alive. True. That's true. Well, She's then, probably like, I know he's a killer. I see a sack of women's clothing. So for my own personal safety. For my own safety, I'm just going to pretend I don't see it. Well, and the interesting thing too is like, she didn't break up with him. Like he just kept Well, listening. also, would you break up with a serial killer or would you be afraid that he'd kill you? If you broke up with him. Well, I for sure wouldn't want him staying with me for a week in my house. I know, but it's almost smarter because, I mean, in my mind, I would think he hasn't killed you yet. Mm -hmm. He's clearly, like, shown that there's some sort of relationship of where he actually trusts you enough Fair. to leave this shit around the house. Like, Fair. I would just keep playing dumb. I feel like I'd be like, I'm really busy all the time. Don't come visit. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know if I'd want him in my house. But you're right. Like, how do you... Or I'd be like, I'm visiting my family and then fly away. And then just <laughs> fly away. Just flap my wings. Listen, you just fly away. It's fine. So, here's the thing. Beep, boop, bop. Bundy was perpetually in debt. Klepfer suspected that he had stolen pretty much everything of value that he owned. When she confronted him about a new TV and stereo that he had, he warned her, if you tell anyone, I'll break your fucking neck. Oh. She said Bundy became very upset whenever she considered cutting her hair, which was long and parted in the middle. Well, please get rid of the middle part. Let's start there. Well, they said every one of his victims. I mean, it's the 70s. Middle parts oh, yeah, were yeah, that was the thing. It was the thing. Middle parts were sexy. Um, She would sometimes... Wake up. This is the creepiest part to me. She would sometimes wake up in the middle of the night to find him under reading, the... Reading. Quote, reading. With a flashlight. What? What's that mean? Oh, wait. Tell me. Okay. She would sometimes wake up in the middle of the night to find him under the covers, examining her body with a flashlight. Yeah. What do you mean reading? He would always excuse it as, oh, I'm reading under the covers I'm with a flashlight. your pubic hair under the covers. Well, no. Like, if she... If he, if she woke up and he got caught, he'd be like, oh, I'm just reading and I didn't want to wake you. I didn't want to turn on the light. So I'm just reading my what book. What a sicko! With a flashlight. What book? I don't know what Her book. Her vagina? <laughs> well, because he would literally be under, like hiding under the covers like a child with he a flashlight. He was examining her body. What a fucking creepo, yeah, He dude. was looking at her body and she'd be like, what is going on? He was like, oh, you were sleeping. I didn't want to turn on the light and wake you. So I'm just reading with a flashlight. I'm going to kill him. Anyway. So Bunny was charged with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault in the Durange case, but he was freed on $15,000 bail by his parents. That's not even a lot. 15000 I know. Crazy. And you only pay 10%, so what, 1500 Yeah, literally. Yikes. Seattle police had insufficient evidence to charge him in the murders, but kept him under close surveillance. On March 1st, 1976, he was found guilty of kidnapping and assault. Um, on June 30th, he was sentenced to serve a minimum of one to a maximum of 15 years in the Utah State Prison. But in October, he was found hiding in the bushes of the prison yard carrying an escape kit that included roadmaps, airline schedules, and a social security card. Oh, my God. So after that, he spent several weeks in solitary confinement. And later that month, Colorado authorities charged him with Karen Campbell's murder. On June 7th of 1977... 
Um, he was in court and he was serving as his own defense. So he didn't have to wear handcuffs. Like he wasn't bound by right. anything. Um, and during a recess, he asked if he could visit the courthouse law library to research his case. So he was in the library. He was concealed behind a bookcase. He opened a window, jumped from the second story, sprained his right ankle as he landed, but he shedded an outer layer of his clothes, walked through the Aspen roadblocks that were being set up, and uh, just hiked up into a mountain. Uh, oh. <laughs> Why did they not think that they should, like, have a guard go with him? Oh, who, who the, who the what fuck knows? What kind of fucking judge was that? Who the fuck knows? Uh, when he was near the summit of Aspen Mountain, he broke into a hunting cabin, stole food, clothes, and a rifle, and then he wandered aimlessly on the mountain for two days before stealing a car and driving toward Aspen. So at this point, he was cold, sleep-deprived, and in constant pain from his sprained ankle. Yeah. Uh, he drove back into Aspen, and two police officers noticed his car weaving in and out of its lane, and he, they pulled him over. And at this point, he'd been a fugitive for six days. So he managed... So his face was everywhere? Yeah, and he had managed to escape for six days, but they finally caught him. But still, crazy. Yeah. On the night of December 30th, with most of the jail staff on Christmas break and all the nonviolent prisoners on furlough with their families, Bundy piled books on books and like files on his bed, covered them with a blanket to look like his body, climbed into a crawl space that he had built. Um, and he built this crawl, crawl space by sawing a hole um, between the steel that reinforced the bars in his cell ceiling mm -hmm. while other prisoners were showering. He managed to lose 35 pounds in prison so that he could fit through this little hole. Jesus. Yeah. Um, and apparently, like, while he was building this hole, multiple reports were made of... Um, movement in the ceiling at night but nobody ever investigated it they thought it was just like uh, made up or like people were hearing things yeah but uh so he managed to while most of the staff was on christmas break he finally climbed through that hole and uh he escaped again um he broke into the apartment of the chief jailer who was out for the evening with his wife changed into street clothes from his closet and walked out the front door Oh. He stole a car, drove eastward, but the car broke down on I-70, and a passing motorist gave him a ride into Vail, where he caught a bus to Denver, boarded a flight to Chicago. Um, it took 17 hours for the jail crew to find out that he was missing. So by the time he was already, like, in Chicago. In Chicago. Wow. Yeah, 17 hours later. So he's finally in Chicago. <clears throat> when he's in Chicago, he takes a train to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, <laughs> then he takes a break. To go to a bar to watch his alma mater, University of Washington, defeat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Because, mm -hmm. you know, why not? Uh, five days later, he steals a car, drives to Atlanta, boards a bus, and arrives in Tallahassee, Florida. Oh, God. On the morning of January 8th. Um, he rents a room near Florida State University. He later said that he had intended to find legitimate employment, stop all criminal activity, uh, because he realized he could probably steer clear of jail if he just managed to stay out of police. Sight, right. Basically. Um, but when he applied to work at a local construction site, they asked for ID. And so 
he just immediately gave up and started stealing credit cards and uh, wallets and purses, etc. In the early morning hours of January 15th, 1978, one hour after, one hour, one week after arriving in Tallahassee for his new crime-free life. Right. He entered FSU's Chi Omega sorority house through a rear door with a faulty locking mechanism. Uh, he bludgeoned 21-year-old Margaret Bowman with a piece of oak firewood as she slept, then garroted her with a nylon stocking, entered the bedroom of 20-year-old Lisa Levy and beat her unconscious, strangled her, tore off one of her nipples. <gasps> what the fuck? I'm sorry. I saw it coming. I didn't know how to prepare you. Oh, my God. Yep. Everyone go back and play that sound again because it's something that's never come out of my body. Oh, my God. You really just tried to fly right through that. Were you testing to see if I was listening? What the fuck, Christine? Just want to wake With you her hand? With his hands? Uh, probably. How, with what? Oh, my. Oh, my God. Tore off one of her nipples. Why? Again, just get through with the sentence. Bit deeply into her left buttock. And sexually assaulted her with a hair mist bottle. So, like, a hairspray bottle. <gasps> oh, my God. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Oh I, know I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. In an adjoining bedroom, he attacked Kathy Kleiner, breaking her jaw, deeply lacerating her shoulder. Uh, and Karen Chandler, who suffered a concussion, a broken jaw. Uh, she lost a lot of teeth, and he broke her fingers. Fuck! 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 I'm not kidding. Why this did he? So why did he have a reason? It was a fight. I think it was just violent sexual assault. Fuck! Oh my god! Tallahassee detectives later determined that the four attacks took place in a total of less than 15 minutes. <gasps> so all of the above that I just listed happened in less than 15 fucking minutes, within earshot of more than 30 witnesses who heard nothing. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. After leaving the sorority house, he broke into a basement apartment eight blocks away and attacked FSU student Cheryl Thomas, where he dislocated her shoulder, fractured her jaw and skull in five places. She was left with permanent deafness for the rest of her life. Holy shit. And had equilibrium damage that ended her dance career. Oh, my God. On February 8th, Bundy drove 150 miles east to Jacksonville, Florida in a stolen FSU van. In a parking lot, he approached 14-year-old Leslie Parmenter, Leslie Parmenter, the daughter of Jacksonville Police Department's chief of detectives, identifying himself as Richard Burton Fire Department, which reminds me of Burt Macklin, FBI, <laughs> <laughs> in like a much less funny way. Right, yes. Uh, but he retreated when Parmenter's older brother arrived and challenged him. That afternoon, he backtracked 60 miles westward to Lake City, Florida, and at Lake City Junior High School the following morning, 12-year-old Kimberly, which, 12, my sister's, 12-year-old Kimberly Diane Leach was summoned to her homeroom by a teacher to retrieve a forgotten purse and never returned to class and vanished. Seven weeks later, after an intensive search, her partially mummified remains were found in a pig farrowing shed near Sewanee River State Park. What the fuck? Okay, we're getting toward the end here, I promise. On February 12th, with insufficient cash to pay his rent and a suspicion that police were closing in on him, Bundy stole a car, fled Tallahassee, 
drove westward across the panhandle. About three days later, he was stopped by police um, when they noticed his Volkswagen Beetle was stolen. When he was told he was under arrest, Bundy kicked the police officer's legs out from under him and took off running. Lee, the police officer, fired a warning shot followed by a second round, gave chase, and tackled him. The two struggled over Lee's gun before the officer finally subdued and arrested him. In the stolen vehicle, they found three sets of IDs belonging to female FSU students, 21 stolen credit cards, and a stolen television set. Jesus. They also found a pair of dark-rimmed non-prescription glasses and a pair of plaid slacks, later identified as the disguise worn by, quote, Richard Burton Fire Department. So he had, like, a disguise. Um, As Lee transported his suspect to jail, unaware, he was unaware that he had just arrested one of the FBI 10 most wanted fugitives. He didn't even realize who it was. He heard Ted Bundy say from the backseat, I wish you had killed me. Wow. So Bundy was then charged in Miami, Florida. Um, He stood trial for the Chi Omega homicides and assaults in June of 1979. And that, um, trial was covered by 250 reporters from five continents and Jeez. yeah and was the first to be televised nationally in the united states wow um despite the presence of five court appointed attorneys bundy decided he wanted to be his own defense again jesus christ hashtag narcissistic um so the uh what do you call it the prosecution um, presented impressions of the bite wounds that Bundy had inflicted on Lisa Levy's yeah, butt. Yeah, and he had really fucked up teeth. And Oh, did he? He did have weird teeth, didn't he? At least on the... Something about his... One of his front teeth is, like, sideways, or it's, like, it's... Oh. His two front teeth aren't straight, so one of them's crooked. But that was, like, one of the biggest things that got him, oh. got him caught. Because they had, like, um, forensic orthodontists, no, I'm sorry, forensic odontologists who showed, who were able to, like, match his yeah. teeth marks to the... It was it was one of the biggest pieces of evidence that got him in jail because Fascinating. his... Because his teeth, um, his teeth were so unique that they matched the bite mark exactly. That's fascinating. Oh, how awful. But he bit so hard that, like, yeah, they a had- teeth imprint was there. They had a full set of his teeth because they showed like a photo on Wikipedia even. There's like a full set of his teeth. Uh, It's disgusting. Um, So the jury deliberated for less than seven hours before convicting him on July 24th, 1979 of the Bowman and Levy murders. Three uh, three counts of attempted first degree murder and two counts of burglary. Um, The death sentence was imposed for the murder convictions and six months later, he was found guilty of the abduction murder of Kimberly Leach. Um, so during, this is interesting, during the penalty phase of the trial, Bundy took advantage of an obscure Florida law providing that a marriage declaration in court in front of a judge constituted as a legal marriage. As he was questioning former Washington State DES co-worker Carol Ann Boone, who he had dated, mm-hmm. who had moved to Florida to be near him, he, um, who was also testifying on his behalf during both trials, he asked her to marry him. She accepted, and Bundy declared to the court that now they were legally married. Shit. He just casually was like, oh, will you marry me? And she's like, sure. And then he's like, well, now we're married because the judge is here. 
On February 10th, 1980, Bundy was sentenced for a third time to death by electrocution. Um, as the sentence was announced, he was reportedly, he reportedly stood and shouted, tell the jury they were wrong. This third death sentence would be the one ultimately carried out, but it wouldn't be not, it would be nine years before it was carried out. Uh, in October 1982, Boone gave birth to a daughter mm-hmm. and named Bundy as the father. Uh, while conjugal visits were not allowed at the prison, inmates were known to pull their money in order to bribe guards to allow them um, intimate time with their female visitors. Mm-hmm. So they think that's what happened. Um, shortly after the conclusion of the trial and the beginning of the appeals process, Bundy initiated a series of interviews uh, with Stephen Machada and Hugh Ainsworth. He basically gave these interviews in the third person to like kind of remove himself from guilt from like confessing. So he would talk about his crimes like in the third person. Um, And this is when he first divulged the details of his thought processes and like why he killed. Um, He said sexual assault fulfilled his need to totally possess his victims. Jesus. He said he killed his victims as a matter of expediency (laughs) at first to eliminate the possibility of being caught. But later, murder became part of the adventure. The ultimate possession was, in fact, the taking of the life, and then the physical possession of the remains. So after his execution date was set, he finally confessed to the full details of the murders, including details of what he did to some of the victims after their deaths. He said he often visited their crime scenes repeatedly to perform sexual acts with their decomposing bodies until putrefaction forced him to stop. And I also read that it was actually very rare because usually you're either a like a, a rapist and a murderer, but it's usually not wrapped up with um, necrophilia. So apparently he's like Weird. a very unique case of he sexually assaulted women and murdered them, yeah. defiled their bodies, and was a necrophiliac. So apparently it's a very rare combination. Yeah. Um, He confessed to detectives from Idaho, Utah, and Colorado that he had committed numerous homicides, including several that were unknown to the police. Um, He explained that when he was living in Utah, he could bring victims back to his apartment where he could reenact scenarios depicted on the covers of detective magazines. Ugh. Um, He said he... So what he did was he would withhold a lot of details in an um, attempt to, like, delay his execution so he would say like oh i did kill this person but i'm not going to tell you all the details to like try and yeah keep himself alive basically but um it had the opposite effect where investigators basically wanted him dead <laughs> yeah because he kept they're like, like whatever it takes at this point yeah they were he was like playing them and they actually called it ted's bones for time scheme because he would be like oh there's a body somewhere but i'm not going to tell you where yeah um, so during his final interviews with investigators, uh, he talked of suicide because he didn't want to give the state the satisfaction of watching him die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did die in the electric chair at 7, 16 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, January 24th, 1989. He was 42 years old. There were hundreds of people outside including 20 off-duty police officers. 
who all sang, danced, and set off fireworks in a pasture across the street from the prison as the execution was carried out, then cheered loudly as the white hearse containing Bundy's corpse departed the prison. His remains were cremated in Gainesville, and the ashes were scattered at an undisclosed location in the Cascade Range of Washington State in accordance with his will. Which is so interesting that they... Respected his will? Yeah. It's like, fuck you, I would have ripped that will up. Well, remember we talked about H.H. Holmes and how that he requested to be buried in, in cement. a concrete? Yeah. So I wonder, like, who is required to travel from fucking Florida to Washington State to spread his ashes? Can you imagine being on that plane carrying his no. ashes? Do you know what I would I do? I would have been like, achoo, whoops. I would have like, flushed him out of the fucking lavatory toilet. Exactly. Like, fuck you. Exactly. Fascinating. I wonder who's required... You guys, if you know, tell me, because I'm curious. Yeah, what's your job title? Who gets, who's hired to do that? Mm. It's just, like, the government pays for that. It's so wild to me. Anyway. Um, while he eventually <clears throat> confessed to 30 murders, Ted Bunny never accepted responsibility for any of them, even when offered the opportunity prior to the Chi Omega trial, which would have averted the death penalty for him. So right. even when he had the chance to avoid the death penalty. Um, he deflected blame onto a wide variety of scapegoats, including his abusive grandfather, the absence of his biological father, um, alcohol, the media, pornography, the police, society in general, violence on television. Uh, he blamed television programming, which, by the way, he was watching on TV sets that he had stolen, mm -hmm. for brainwashing him into stealing credit cards. Right. Uh, on at least one occasion, he even tried to blame his victims by saying, I've known people who radiate vulnerability. Their facial expressions say, I am afraid of you. These people invite abuse. By expecting oh. to be hurt, do they subtly encourage it? Question mark. What the fuck? Right? What the fuck? What the fuck? So, in the end, uh, the true total of uh, homicides by Ted, Ted Bundy remains unknown, um, published estimates have run as high as a hundred or more and Bundy occasionally made cryptic comments to encourage that speculation. He told Hugh Ainsworth, who interviewed him in 1980, that for every murder publicized, there could be one that was not. When FBI agents proposed a total tally of 36, Bundy responded, add one digit to that and you'll have it. Oh. And that's the story of Ted Bundy. And, fun fact, he refused his last meal. Oh, did he? Yep. I didn't know that. They gave him the standard, like, coffee and whatever. And Toast he, or something? Yeah, and he refused it. Whoa. He said, I'll save it for later. What a sick bastard. Also, um, apparently they think that he might have gotten his girlfriend pregnant in jail by uh, jacking off into a condom. No. And then putting the condom tied off in his mouth. No. And then kissing her. No! To pass off the sperm for her to insert <laughs> later. Yuck. Because he wanted a legacy. Yuck, 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 yuck. Also, in like a half an hour before his death, he did one last interview. And all he did was swear that it was entirely pornography's fault. Yes, and that he was, was another thing. He said that hands down, every single person he ever met in jail is in jail because yep. by the time they were like 12 years old, they were watching pornography. And it was interesting because the person he interviewed was like a very avid, like anti-pornography yeah. person. And so one of like a couple of websites I found were very adamant. Like it was like a very, they were like very Christian, like, uh, 
Like pornography. Your kills. children will become Ted Bundy. Yes. And he said there. He said pornography turns children into Ted Bundys. Yeah. Is what he well, also he said, said in that same interview that he was raised in a wonderful home with wonderful uh-huh. sh- with wonderful parents, and it's like, mm, no, you weren't. Like and, you're just trying to charm us right now. Well, and all but like pretty much every biographer who's seriously written a book about him has said um, that he did that as like just one more like fuck you to be like. I can control my story however yeah. I want, basically. Yep. And people still, there's still websites that are like, do you want your child to become Ted Bundy? And there's still women out there who defend him and say, like, he, I was going to marry him. He uh-huh. wanted me to marry him once he got out. They all think that they're the one, even though he yep. made it very clear that he was not there for them and yeah. didn't like them and didn't want to be with them. That's the one thing is, like, this story is so broad, and there were articles about his mother. I mean, there's so much on it, and, like, I wish... Like, it's just, I couldn't have covered all of it, but there's so much fascinating shit about this story. So I know we're going to get messages and like corrections and whatever, but I wish I had been able to do more, but I just wanted to cover all the videos. I mean, that was a short abridged version, guys. Very abridged. Like, lucky you, you get a, a long episode this week. And we're week. still at two hours for the episode. Yeah. Oh, so Wow. Sorry, guys, if you didn't want that much, but also you wanted Ted Bundy and we, this was the... <laughs> shortest version we could do listen i try to do what you want okay it's like pick your battles God. make up your mind do you want a ted bundy story done right or no or we tried want- to do it right and short and we still ended up at two hours I sorry mean, i don't know what, what more could you possibly want from me yeah not much I'm, i think except the world it's like they ask the world of me and and then get mad when you give them the world and a half thank you i hear you someone finally understands i'm on the same playing field <laughs> Oh, you guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, uh, I'm just going to quickly do the spiel. If you, for some reason, don't follow us anywhere, what the fuck's wrong with you? Fuck you. And you can find us late to the game uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at ATWWD podcast. We have a website and that's why we drink dot com. We have our store and that's why we drink dot big cartel dot com. We also have an email, and that's why we drink at gmail.com, where you can send in your listener stories. We do a listener's episode uh, on the first of every month. Um, do we have anything else? We have our Patreon, where you can donate, ATWWD Podcast. Please donate. Please help us. You really don't realize how much you're helping us. <laughs> really, really don't understand. Every time we get an email saying, so-and-so pledged, we're like... <gasps> jennifer yeah thank you. <laughs> thanks megan we have like a, a little like tearful moment so thank you all for it really that. means a lot to us um i want to also add that i'm sorry that we swear because a lot of people have been like listen i want to show you to my family but you say what the fuck and i'm like well well we're in our 20s and in, in 2018 so i don't know what you want us to do <laughs> sorry <laughs> Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Um, we really do thank you guys so, 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 so much for your Patreon support. Even just listening. If you guys have the opportunity, if you're listening on, um, iTunes, if you could leave us a quick review, that would be, Oh yes, please. It helps a lot to leave us a review on iTunes. So if you could do that, that'd be awesome. If you want to follow M on social media, it's at the M Schultz with no T. If you want to follow me, uh, it's <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Forget about M. It's X Teen Sheeper. And just figure out how to spell it. You'll figure it out. And uh, you can find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, 
iTunes, Google Play? Yeah, Google Play's been struggling, but we're on there. We're on, we should be on there, but we've gotten a couple emails saying it's being weird. It's because Google Play is struggling. Yep. Not our fault. Stop yelling at us. Yes. Stop and you can find us on Audio us. Boom, too. Oh, and on Audio Boom. Oh, and you can find us in Nashville on May 4th. Yep. At CrimeCon, where you can, uh, your, our discount promo code, if you would like it, is ATWWD. Hell yeah. Is it? It is. Okay. Well, then you can get 10% off of your tickets. And you better be there because we want to meet your face. We really want to meet at least someone. We, we have this thought that no one's going to yes, show we're up. we're worried. And like, how embarrassing is it if how we embarrassing. have a, maybe a show and no one so laughs. So embarrassing. Or just a booth and no one and shows. I'm going to be so fucking embarrassed. I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to show up in a mustache and be like, hello, I like this podcast. It'll be why we drink. <laughs> I'm going to have booze under the table. So if you want to come meet me and drink booze with me under oh, the table. Oh, she'll have her wine bra on. Uh, oh, yes. I'll have my wine bra and you get, can come have a sip. Yes. Come to Nashville, Tennessee. May we'll 4th. sign things for you if you want us to sign things. Fuck yeah. May 4th through 6th, Hillbilly Horror Stories is coming. So you guys better come. That's a fun little feature. ATWWD. Use the promo code. We'll be there. Okay, good. Maybe Gio will be there. I'll figure it out. <laughs> and that's why we drink? And that's why we drink. Nope. Nope. Do people, are people pissed here. off about this? Probably. Here. Use hey. the bottle. No, here. What? Okay. Oh, that's pretty good. Here, wait. Try it again. Okay. That's pretty good. And that's why we drink. Ah, fuck. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace Courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.